You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A Chinese threat actor exploits a Barracuda vulnerability. An upgraded version of the Android Gravity Rat can exfiltrate WhatsApp messages. Cyber criminals pose as security researchers to propagate malware. Updates on the Vidar threat operation. A new Romanian hacking group has emerged. Shuckworm collects intelligence and may support targeting. The Washington Post's Tim Starks explains the Section 702 debate. Our guest is Rotem Iram from At Bay with insights on email security and Russia's Cadet Blizzard. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Thursday, June 15th, 2023. a late May announcement of a zero-day vulnerability affecting the Barracuda email security gateway, Mandiant has identified an actor they believe is based in China targeting Barracuda ESG appliances. The gang, identified as UNC 4841, may have exploited this vulnerability as long ago as October of last year. The threat actors sent phishing emails containing malicious file attachments that exploited the vulnerability and allowed for initial access into affected devices. UNC 4841 is said to primarily rely on three families of code, Saltwater, C-Spy, and C-Side. The hackers are said by researchers to aggressively target specific data of interest for exfiltration following the initial compromise. The gang is said to be using this access for cyber espionage purposes. Barracuda recommends isolating and replacing affected devices. Mandiant adds that further investigation and hunting within systems would also be a good idea, as this gang has shown a strong capability for lateral movement and is nothing if not persistent. Researchers at ESET have found an updated version of the Android Gravity Rat that can exfiltrate stored WhatsApp messages and delete files on command, The remote access Trojan is being delivered in the form of chat applications. These are, in fact, corrupted versions of open-source Omemo IM code. When ESET attempted to download an affected instance of binge chat, 
they found that its registration was closed, leading them to believe that this campaign is highly targeted. ESET writes that it's possible that the operators even go so far as opening registration at the time a specific target is anticipated to be online. The researchers have been unable to find any victims of the campaign, which further suggests the campaign is intended for specific targets and not a large-scale campaign. Though attribution of the threat actors behind this rat is unknown, Facebook and Cisco Talos have suggested that a Pakistan-based APT may be responsible. So, while the number of victims affected by the Trojan may not defy gravity, its capabilities are something worthy of note. Researchers at Volncheck have discovered malicious GitHub repositories claiming to be zero-day proofs of concept posted by security researchers. Volncheck says that the cybercriminals operate multiple fake accounts and Twitter profiles posing as employees of a fictitious company named High Sierra Cybersecurity. The malicious profiles often use legitimate headshots of security researchers and contain a malicious repository. Avkash Katheria, senior vice president of research and innovation at Cyware, commented that it's worth repeating these Security 101 tenets. Don't download questionable files from GitHub. Don't install any sample malware in a system that is not isolated. Don't trust what you see on Twitter. If you spend all day researching threats and scam techniques, don't be surprised when you become the target. That's one moral of this story. Team Kimri continues to track the Vidar commodity malware operation. The malware's operators are using public VPN services for anonymity and have begun migrating to Tor. The researchers state that recent changes have made the monitoring of updates to malware more difficult. Researchers say that previously it was possible to download any files hosted on the URL path slash private, such as the bash script responsible for installing the necessary components for a new Vidar campaign, making it possible to monitor malware updates. Unauthenticated file download attempts now redirect back to the Vidar affiliate login screen. Cato security researchers today reported discovering threat patterns they associate with the DICOT threat group. DICOT, the gang formerly known as Mexels, is deploying malicious payloads that aren't in public repositories. In particular, the group has its hands on an initial access tool that self-propagates, and it's also using custom packages to hide binary payloads. DICOT engages in a range of criminal activity, including cryptojacking, doxing, and DDoS attacks. Active since at least 2020, DICOT has recently been seen using a Mirai-based botnet, Chaosin, in attacks against routers running the OpenWRT operating system. The gang's new DICOT moniker is also the name of the Organized Crime and Anti-Terrorism Police Unit in Romania, that, combined with observations of the Romanian language and strings and log statements, has led researchers to conclude that the gang's origins are Romanian. Russian intelligence services are again targeting Ukrainian government and security services in a persistent intelligence collection campaign. The Symantec Threat Hunter team released a long-form article discussing the long-term behavior of the Russian APT Shuckworm. Shuckworm, also known as Garmeradon or Armageddon, seems recently to have targeted Ukraine's security services, military, and government organizations, 
with a view to establishing long-term persistence for continuing intelligence collection. Symantec writes, In some cases, the Russian group succeeded in staging long-running intrusions lasting for as long as three months. They observed repeated attempts at accessing and stealing sensitive information related to Ukrainian service members, airstrikes, training reports, and the like. Shuckworm constantly evolves its tools to evade detection and throw off defenders' attempts to profile the threat actor. Although Shuckworm has been active against Ukrainian networks since 2014, the year of Russia's invasion of Ukraine's Crimean province, its most recent attacks in February and March of 2023 are of particular interest— they scan a victim's network for files that could contain sensitive Ukrainian military information and could possibly be used to target kinetic strikes against Ukrainian units. And finally, Microsoft researchers have now identified a cluster of cyber attacks as the work of a Russian General Staff Main Intelligence Directorate, or GRU unit, Microsoft has named Cadet Blizzard. Redmond thinks that Cadet Blizzard, formerly tracked as Dev0586, has been operating since 2020. They associate the unit with last year's Whispergate wiper attacks against Ukrainian targets, and they note that in recent months the threat actor has been associated with influence operations. Cadet Blizzard isn't the only GRU threat actor working against Ukraine. While Microsoft links Cadet Blizzard to the Russian GRU, they maintain that the group is separate from the more familiar Forest Blizzard and Seashell Blizzard gangs, also known as Strontium and Iridium, respectively. Compared to Forest Blizzard and Seashell Blizzard, Microsoft assesses Cadet Blizzard as generally less effective than its better-known institutional siblings. Still, it's enjoyed a modest level of success, and it's not an outfit defenders can afford to disregard. Coming up after the break, The Washington Post's Tim Starks explains the Section 702 debate. Our guest is Rotem Iram from At Bay with insights on email security. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. (laughs) 
IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Cybersecurity insurance provider At Bay recently published a report exploring the effectiveness of various email security solutions, along with recommendations for revamping email security practices. Rotem Iran is CEO and co-founder of At Bay. One of the things that has frustrated me personally as somebody who has been in the security industry for, for a while is that it is really difficult to know what is the relationship between certain technology choices that we make and the uh, risk that is entailed? It's, it's easy to believe that they help, uh, but how much do they help? Uh, which one is, is better? How much should I spend to uh, buy additional security controls? Is it, is it worth the investment or not? It's really difficult to answer any of these questions without a financial analysis of the actual loss results. And that is what has made me excited to build an insurance company where we get to see claims of more than 40,000 of our insureds over these last few years and, and start to tease out what are the relationships between certain product choices and certain technology choices that our customers have made and the financial losses that they experience later on. And what we've done in, in our report uh, is highlight two elements that are related to email security. The first one is the choice of the underlying email client. We believe that that is really important because if I would take uh, the metaphor of protecting a house, I want to know how you've built your house first before I'm interested in what security solutions you've overlaid the house. Yes, it is important to know if you have locks on your doors and a fence around the house and uh, closed you know, cameras, but I want to know, is the house made out of brick or wood or is it straw, right? And the first thing that we've, we've identified is that, uh, and by the way, maybe it's also important to say is our analysis is a statistical analysis of our own claims experience. It says nothing about the technical capabilities of the products, only how we experience customers that have decided to buy and purchase and use those, those products. And what we see is that companies who chose Google Workspace as their email environments experience significant fewer losses to customers that have chosen Microsoft 365 or Microsoft Exchange. And that could be a combination of both issues with how easy it is to, to, to break in to either one of those platforms or also how much attention attackers are putting into any one of those, of those platforms. But regardless to why this is happening, at the end of the day, as an insurance company that does not want to or that wants to find ways to limit how much we lose uh, on, on each policy, we have found that Microsoft Exchange, which is the on-premise uh, kind of older version of, of Microsoft Office, Microsoft Exchange is dramatically more vulnerable than the cloud uh, email solutions, uh, Workspace and 365, by almost a factor of, of three compared uh, to Google Workspace, and that Google Workspace outperforms Microsoft 365 by almost a, 
almost twice as better in terms of the frequency of, of attacks. And then the, the second layer is the layer of email security solutions that companies uh, purchase to put on top of their email solution. These are companies like Mindcast, Sophos, Intermedia, AppRiver, Proofpoint, Barracuda, and others. Uh, what we found, generally speaking, is that these, uh, these solutions all do a good job reducing the risk of the insured, but we have, find, we have found stronger correlation between Mindcast email security solutions and lower frequency compared to each one of each of the other choices. So Mindcast kind of came, came first uh, with an almost 30% lower frequency of, of incidents uh, that started in an email compared to the average email security platform. And then you can read kind of the full list in our, in our report that we published. I'm curious, as an insurance provider, to what degree do you feel as though you're having influence over organizations and, and the things they choose? I mean, you, you, can, you can set rates based on some of the data you're gathering here, right? Absolutely. Uh, we use this data, first and foremost, to, um, for our own pricing exercise so that we can price the policy adequately um, and we reflect our, this pricing back to the customer. And so what we tell our customers is, here are the choices that you have made, and here is the resulting insurance premium. And by the way, if you have made different choices, this is, what, how, this is the opportunity you have to improve. Typically, customers don't care about making their insurance policy worse, but here are the ways in which you could uh, get access to better coverage or better uh, premiums, lower premiums, if you were to adopt uh, other solutions that we find are better performing when it comes to risk. In some cases, uh, and, and by the way, our customers view us as a very credible and, uh, and, and very much an objective third party. We don't have, we don't care which solution wins. We're not tied to, to any one of these specific platforms or solutions. We want to decrease risk. And in that way, we are very much on the same side as, as, the, as the insured. I'll say more than that. Uh, AdBay focuses on, on small and medium-sized companies. These are companies that do not have the budget or the expertise to manage security themselves. There is no CISO in the organization that, have, that has a very strong opinion about security solutions. And they see the insurance company as a partner that not only buys away some of their risk, right, for, for, for the premium, but also... As, as a very credible entity to help them manage their, their risk. And so as kind of their trusted partner, they oftentimes follow our, our advice, even when it's not, uh, and it's much easier to do it this way when, when we can actually show them the, uh, the relationship between, between losses and, and the choices that they make. In some cases, uh, for example, in the case of, of uh, the old kind of Microsoft Exchange services, we would significantly limit the coverage in the policy unless they upgraded to a uh, to a better to a, to a cloud solution and we're happy to help them by the way we've partnered with Microsoft to help exchange customers upgrade their environments uh, for for no fee to the office 365 environment because it is so much safer and, and so much better for us but if they choose to remain with with the exchange environment we uh, we in, in many cases tell them that they should probably go and seek insurance from another provider. That's Rotem Iram from At Bay.
Joining me once again is Tim Starks. He is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 over at the Washington Post. Tim, it's always great to have you back. Always great to be back. So earlier this week, uh, you published a story about the ongoing debate over Section 702 authorization, uh, which is really hot and heavy right now among Congress and the various uh, players in this world. Um, can you give us a, a little overview before we dig into the, the current specifics of what led us to where we are here today? The issue with Section 702, this is a program that was uh, created after 9-11, eventually became authorized into law. It was a sort of a secret administration program for a while, and then they they did go ahead and authorize it with with a little bit of extra protections that had been in there. The idea of the program originally was, of course, to, to capture uh, or to be able to eavesdrop on terrorists. And, and the thing that made it controversial is that it was under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which, as you might imagine, was supposed to be foreign-related. Right. And in this case, uh, they were targeting foreigners, but the people on the other line of the communications that they were eavesdropping on might be Americans. This was warrantless surveillance. So it, it was very controversial to get to the point of, of being authorized and, and then reauthorized again in 2018 because we're talking about, you know, Americans being surveilled upon. That's something we take a little, we take a, a little different approach to in the United States. Right. So um, there are other ways in which, you know, U.S. citizens can be spied upon here. One of the things that, that they can do, the FBI can go in if they have some evidence of a crime or if they uh, have some foreign intelligence purpose that they can justify. They can go and search the, that database of all those communications they've collected based on looking for the U.S. person communications. So they can, that there's, a, there's a fear that this is so-called reverse targeting or backdoor searches. So th- all of this has been very controversial for a long time, but it's, it's only gotten more controversial since the last reauthor- reauthorization because FISA is now... Uh, wrapped up in, in some, some hostilities that Republicans have over, over FISA, FISA overall, not Section 702, use on a, a Trump campaign aid. And, mm-hmm. and also there have been uh, yet more reports of abuses that have been coming out in the last few months. And so this is up for renewal this year, right? It expires at the end of this year. So, so what's the overall debate here? Yeah, they don't have a lot of time. Uh, the administration started making a push on this early this year. Uh, and Maybe they should have gotten started sooner because this is this is this has not gotten too far in terms of who's acting on it. This this, this is you know one of the first hearings on this matter in the Senate Judiciary Committee this week. Uh, they're one of the committees that have oversight of of that FISA law. They just had it in June, and if you know Congress uh, very well, you know that sometimes it takes a little while for them to get to the point of actually taking action. Mm-hmm. So this is we're still early in the process of this. One of the things that that we are seeing come up more often, and the administration does not like this is the notion of a warrant requirement for going into that database and searching for a U.S. person. So that's, that's going to be a real sticking point. Just to maybe give the, the folk listening a little bit more reason to understand why Section 702 is so important. We're talking about you know, eavesdropping on emails, eavesdropping on texts. You get into the sort of cybersecurity world pretty quickly. And while it was conceived for anti-terrorism purposes, these days the administration, the FBI said nearly half or approximately half of the uses of that that querying is for cybersecurity cases where they're trying to go in and find victims of cybersecurity incidents or trying to track down the hackers responsible. So it's got a lot of cybersecurity ramifications that it's always had, but it's gotten more and more of them if you, if you listen to the administration. What is the burden here of having to get a warrant? I mean, that seems to align uh, with the notion of the Fourth Amendment. Uh, why is the administration against that additional burden? Yeah, so they have a couple different answers to that. One is that uh, despite 
what people do say about the Fourth Amendment concerns, and, the, and Congress mentioned this, you know, this week, uh, it is it is first and foremost on their mind. Uh, they say that no court that has evaluated this program has has said it is it goes against the Fourth Amendment. Hmm. The other thing they say is that it would be wildly impractical if they had to do it every single time they wanted it. The courts would just be completely clogged up. Uh, they wouldn't be able to ever get anything done with speed. In some cases, they say we're trying to find out really quickly in real time who a victim is. And if you're worried about trying to track down who a victim is and you have to wait any length of time, you're going to have a lot less success. Any notion of how this is likely to play out? Oh, God. I hate it when you ask me that, Dave. <laughs> I know. It's so, it's so unfair of me, but I'm asking the questions here, Tim. <laughs> Alan Nakashima, my colleague, she and I were discussing this, and she, she tweeted about this. It's not, it's not violating confidentiality of discussions. It feels like if this is going to happen, the administration might have to accept some kind of warrant requirement. There was a, a call that, that, that the, some senior administration officials did with reporters where one of the reporters asked, are you going to talk about maybe just doing a, 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 a clean six-month extension? I could see that happening or you know, some kind of extension. And I, I can see it happening in part because it's happened before where mm-hmm. they keep having to kick the can down the road. But what the ultimate deal looks like is really... It's difficult for me to imagine because the opposition from the Republican side has really been mounting. They control the House. Mm-hmm. The opposition from civil liberties-oriented Democrats and, and Republicans has already, always been there, and I think it's hardened, if anything. It's really difficult for me to imagine them getting a version of the deal where they don't have to make some kind of concessions on warrants. But it's hard to imagine what a, what a middle ground looks like. It, you know, right now, it's, we don't want a warrant versus we do want a warrant. And you can't, you know, you can't have half a baby. You know, right. if, if one person wants a, wants a child and the other person in the relationship doesn't, you can't, there's no compromise. One person seems to have to give up. So it's, I think trying to be creative around how that warrant requirement could work uh, is probably where a deal lies. Or the administration just rolling over and saying, look, we, we need this authority so much that we will, we will deal with this and live with this warrant requirement. Hmm. All right. Well, time will tell, as we like to say. Tim Starks is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. 
We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by Rachel Gelfand. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.